You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to PTCE's Pharmacy Connect, a podcast focused on continuing education created by pharmacists for pharmacists. PTCE is the leader in pharmacy and managed care education. In these episodes, listeners will be presented with the most recent clinical updates and strategies for implementing into practice. Epilepsy is a neurologic disease affecting individuals of all ages that is characterized by disturbances in neuronal signaling resulting in seizures. Seizures present differently in each patient, requiring patient-specific treatment and monitoring but may manifest as abnormal behavior, involuntary movements, changes in sensory function, and changes in consciousness. In particular, seizure clusters pose a significant burden on patients with epilepsy and are characterized by multiple seizures within a short time frame. These clusters are distinct from an epilepsy patient's normal seizure frequency and are more likely to occur in patients who have drug-resistant epilepsy. As new pharmacologic agents are approved, pharmacists must be familiar with all available treatment options for seizure clusters, including those that are administered via alternative routes. In addition to epilepsy rescue treatment, pharmacists should be knowledgeable on chronic seizure medications as they are also critical to cluster seizure management. This podcast will review epilepsy treatment options and provide pharmacists with an understanding of the disease state and clinical guidelines to best recognize patients who are not optimally treated and to help address their needs. Here's our host and founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri. Seizure clusters. What are seizure clusters? And the periods of increased seizure activity, having two or more seizures in a 24-hour period, extremely disruptive to people's lives. You can imagine how feeling worried, frustrated, or helpless you are if you're suffering with this. With PTCE Pharmacy Connect, their commitment to audio education and supplementing uh, education for our pharmacists and continuing education, this is exciting to bring specialists to our pharmacy podcast listeners. And today we're going to be talking with Dr. Gretchen Brophy, who's a PharmD and professor and really has a great background in understanding seizure treatment. Welcome to the program, Gretchen. Thank you. So let's start off with your a little bit about you and your background and your interest and experience in understanding uh, seizures as well as seizure treatment. Sure. Um, I've been practicing as a clinical pharmacist uh, in a neuroscience intensive care unit at Virginia Commonwealth University Medical College of Virginia for over two decades now. And uh, with that, I have taken care of multiple patients with seizures and I have dealt with um, a lot of seizures that don't stop, which are, you know, move into status epilepticus and very similar treatments in, in a lot of these, you know, with the seizure clusters as well as status. Um, and, and we want to make sure that our patients obviously have a good quality of life. So I've been focused in this area for quite some time. I also um, focus on in the area of traumatic brain injury uh, for my research and uh, you know, experiential uh, teaching and, and things like that as well. So neurocritical care is sort of my background. Um, I've been a professor, like I said, for several years. I teach, I do research, and I see patients. So I sort of get the best of everything in regards to patient care um, and, and practicing as a clinical pharmacist. So let's go back to the definition, Gretchen. Could you give our listeners the 
the technical definition. What are seizure clusters? Why are they unique? And um, and and even similar to other types of seizures, could you please review this uh, for our listeners? Sure. Um, seizure clusters are where you have multiple seizures really within a short time frame, and it's different than the patient's normal repetitive seizure pattern. Um, these can consist of two or more seizures within a six or tw to 24 hour window, and their duration is usually less than five minutes. Uh, the other thing that makes them unique is that the patient does recover consciousness between these attacks, unlike something like status epilepticus where they may not and they, they continue seizing. Um, also, the prevalence of seizure clusters range anywhere from 13% to 76% in the outpatient setting and uh, up to 61% in the inpatient setting. So I can imagine the embarrassment as well as uh, the worry that goes with patients that are living with seizures and, and really understanding what can be done to limit or eradicate um, a seizure in a, in a patient. Uh, from someone that understands, has researched and has is, is treated uh, people with seizures, what impact do seizure clusters have on patients' quality of life? Um, it, as you know, all seizures really impact patients' quality of life. So we do what we can to stop the seizures with the, the minimum amount of medication that we can use to therefore decrease side effects, et cetera. Um, so some of these seizure clusters, unfortunately, may not stop with treatment. And they can evolve, as I said earlier, into status epilepticus, which is a significant concern because we know that that can uh, lead to poorer outcomes. Additionally, the neuro neuronal injury uh, may occur after even brief repeated seizures. And the seizure clustering um, in patients that, it, that this has happened to while on treatment actually have a high mortality rate that increases almost threefold with about 14% in uh, the group that didn't have clustering uh, seizure clusters versus 42% mortality in those that did. Um, also social um, quality of life challenges are a big concern um, for patients with seizure clusters. It, it definitely worsens the health and quality of life of our patients and it's associated with um, Postictal psychosis, it can lead to status epilepticus and a higher mortality, as we said. Um, also, the patients and caregivers and clinicians actually reported that seizure uh, clusters have a moderate to major negative impact on quality of life, um, up to about 80%. Um, and, you know, when we talk to, when we look at clinicians, um, and this, there was a survey that was done, um, and they actually looked at the frequency, uh, or sorry, looked at the quality of life issues in patients with seizure clusters, and the most frequently um, reported uh, quality of life changes that happens are the patient's ability to drive, uh, their independence, um, their activities of daily living, and their ability to work. So as you can see, seizure clusters do impact our patients in a pretty negative way. And anything we can do to improve their treatments would definitely hopefully improve their quality of life. Gretchen, any chronic condition that isn't properly managed can spiral out of control 
and pharmacists see this all the time with um, with patients in their community, especially like with diabetes and hypertension. And I think of seizure clusters and seizures um, getting worse that aren't properly treated. What is the economic burden associated with seizure clusters, especially those who are not appropriately treated? Well, I, I think the biggest burden economically we see are those that come to the hospital. Um, patients uh, with seizure clusters have an association with increased emergency room visits and hospitalization, which obviously is going to increase costs. One retrospective claims database actually looked at over 10,000 patients um, over about 10 years ago, and they found that the patients with epilepsy-related hospitalizations um, and epilepsy-related emergency department visits were almost twofold greater in patients that had uncontrolled epilepsy as compared to patients with controlled epilepsy. So a definite impact on the system. 32% um, of adults actually with epilepsy are unable to work and 53% of adults with uncontrolled seizures live in households that earn less than $25,000 a year as well. And um, the uncontrolled epilepsy um, patients do incur much higher overall costs compared to those with controlled epilepsy by at least $10,000 more. Um, so definitely is an economic burden to these patients and the system. So now that we have a better idea of the clinical presentation of seizure clusters, and the burden of the conditions that um, can cascade from uh, seizures, what are some of the treatment challenges patients are facing? Well, I think some of the treatment challenges that we have um, is that we can't stop seizures in all patients. And that might be due to several factors, but if we can try to address some of those, maybe we can improve um, our patient's quality of life and, and ability to halt seizures. One of the big um, treatment challenges we have, I think, is under treatment of these patients. Uh, we aren't giving the appropriate doses early on because some people may fear the adverse event, uh, effects that you might see with these patients. Um, but actually, the continued seizure is the one that's going to cause even more problems for the patient versus probably treatment with our initial doses of drugs, which are usually benzodiazepines in this situation, um, which are actually pretty safe drugs overall. So um, we really need to make sure we're using appropriate dosing and not under treating. Another um, challenge is that there's not a one size fits all. So there's a lack of consensus and treatment guidelines um, that actually um, incorporate some of the newer therapeutic options that have come out. Um, and, you know, again, not everything is head to head when you look at the trials. So um, trying to come up with a, an individualized dose for your patient is something that's very important. Um, and then a lack of a seizure action plan is probably another challenge. If, if the patient doesn't have a seizure action plan uh, in conjunction with their pharmacist or their physician, um, that might, you know, that definitely um, would probably contribute to more treatment failures, um, lack of compliance, et cetera. So I think there's several treatment challenges that we do have, but I think that we can overcome those if we work together and collaborate with our colleagues. Gretchen, you touched on some of the treatment um, 
novelties and, and newer treatments that are coming out, what are some of the new and emerging drug characteristics that may improve treatment of seizure clusters? Well, um, approximately 56% of individuals with epilepsy um, continue to experience seizures despite maintenance treatment, um, as I said before. And for patients with epilepsy, um, a seizure action plan should be made to ensure that patients have the opportunity to have rescue treatments on hand um, that can be used if their seizures are longer in duration or more frequent in nature, such as seizure clusters. Um, an appropriate rescue therapy should really be easy to use and have a fast onset of action and also have a good benefit to risk um, ratio, you know, as we choose those for individual patients. And then um, some of our current therapies have a very fast onset of action due to their um, non-oral administration, which is something that's really good for our patients that we haven't had in the past. And there's some additional uh, innovative drug delivery methods that are coming down the pipeline that could also help us in the future. How about the FDA-approved rescue medications? Um, what are, what's available for patients with seizure clusters? Well, currently we use, as I said, benzodiazepines, um, and we have three sort of approved uh, routes of administration um, and dosage forms. One is rectal diazepam, uh, then we have intranasal diazepam, and we also have an intranasal midazolam. So can you dig into each of those and give us some detail about these agents? Sure. Um, as most of you probably know, um, rectal diazepam is something that we've had for years, uh, over 20 years at this point, and we've been using this. It does work um, with some of the most frequent ADRs, uh, being somulants, um, you know, which is common with all of our benzodiazepines. Um, the problem with this administration route, obviously, is the fact that most people don't want to receive any drug rectally. Uh, and, you know, it's, it puts patients in a compromising position, uh, you know, if they're having seizures out in public. So um, it does work. Like I said, there have been pivotal trials that showed that rectal diazepam um, is definitely uh, better than placebo. And uh, it's effective. It may not be as effective as the, some of our newer routes, such as intranasal or buccal. Um, Medazolam uh, at achieving seizure sensation, cessation. So that's again with some of the newer data that's come out. Um, and so this is hopefully really going to be looked at closely by our pharmacists and physicians and uh, give our patients the opportunity to maybe use some of these newer, um, newer dosage forms. Uh, one meta analysis did reveal that seizures stopped within 10 minutes um, when using rectal diazepam in about 70% of patients. Um, and they were, it was sustained for one hour in about 55% of patients. But in contrast, uh, seizures stopped within 10 minutes in 90% of the patients who received intranasal midazolam. And that control was sustained at, up to 78% of patients. Um, so it, it looks like some of these newer opportunities, um, again, work as well, if not better, than the rectal diazepam. And as I said earlier, administration of the rectal medication is really sort of public, you know, in public is socially probably not as acceptable as 
as other forms, and it has really limited use in the adult population due to the attitudes and the logistical difficulties in, in accessing the rectal route during or after a seizure. So in comparison to the rectal, we have nasal diazepam, intranasal. Uh, that was just in the last couple of years um, that has come out for us to use for acute repetitive seizures or seizure clusters. And this one can be used in, in uh, patients six years of age or older. And this uses a novel actually formulation um, for technolo technological advances, I guess, for in to enhance the nasal delivery of the diazepam. It allows for then increased bioavailability and an increased safety um, of oral, buccal, dermal, and intranasal drugs with this new delivery device um, or technology, I should say. So the intranasal diazepam is a little bit different in dosage. It is weight-based, age and weight-based. Um, and when you dose it, uh, it's usually a five or 10 milligram dose that you administer it as a single spray in each nostril or in one nostril, I should say. And then if you need to do higher doses, then you use two of the devices that are available for the intranasal administration and do one spray in each nostril. Um, for this product, if you do need a second dose, you should wait at least four, the patient needs to wait at least four hours um, after that first dose before taking that second dose. Now, analysis um, from a study uh, looking at, at the intranasal diazepam found no statistical evidence of tolerance um, with the use of this, which sometimes happens with our benzodiazepines. And um, there are some contraindications, uh, such as with all benzodiazepines with narrow angle glaucoma. And um, also, you know, patients should use any of these benzodiazepines again, especially these that have great delivery uh, to the CNS. Um, use them in caution, uh, with caution, when, you know, the patient is, if the patient drinks alcohol or is on other CNS suppressants due to that increased risk of potential uh, for respiratory depression and sedative effects. Uh, again, some of the most common ADRs for these drugs are somnolence. Um, for the nasal, you can also have some nasal discomfort. And with the intranasal diazepam, I also think about drug-drug interactions um, as the risk of the adverse drug events can increase if you have other drugs on board that inhibits uh, CYP 2C19 or 3A4. Um, currently, there really are no pivotal trials conducted on, on the intranasal diazepam to evaluate the efficacy for seizure clusters. However, the effectiveness of diazepam nasal spray was based on the bioavailability of the nasal spray compared to the rectal gel in healthy adults. And a long-term open-label study um, of diazepam intranasal was conducted and found that the safety was really consistent with that of diazepam. Um, there was a survey also that was done for patient and caregivers, and um, it, it was an open. They were in an open label um, phase three study uh, with repeat dose. Um, you know, looking at safety for this, and it showed that almost uh, seventy nine percent of respondents were very comfortable do, using um, the intranasal device outside of the home. And 54 or 59% of them um, actually turned to the usual baseline self uh, within an hour of administration. And in addition, uh, 
these patients were actually able to self-administer in about 40% of the patients. And then 48% of them did this with the first sign of seizure, obviously giving them a better chance to um, get their drug on board without having the caregiver's help. They did um, in this survey say that administration of intranasal diazepam was uh, rated extremely uh, or very easy um, to give. And that was from the caregiver standpoint uh, for that drug. Um, another, the other agent, the intranasal midazolam, it, again, was approved um, just a couple of years ago uh, for the treatment of cluster or seizure clusters in children and adults 12 years of age or older. Um, this dose is a one uh, dose, five milligram spray in one nostril. And if the seizure continues uh, after that first dose, second dose can be um, advised in these patients. Um, should be administered to the patient during or after the seizure. Um, and it's again, the contraindications with benzos and narrow angle glaucoma should be considered. Always have to counsel our patients and caregivers about the potential for respiratory depression uh, and cardiac and respiratory arrest. Again, with the benzodiazepines, however, they tend to be very safe. But again, thinking about the intranasal um, administration, you're going to get rapid absorption. So knowing the patient's history could be very helpful there too, just making sure they don't have any other drugs on board that can contribute to those, um, to the respiratory or cardiac issues. Probably the use of other drugs, um, again, that, that can cause sedation or drugs that uh, moderately or strongly inhibit CYP3A4 in patients receiving the intranasal diazepam should be considered so we don't have increased ADRs as we talked about before, which again includes somnolence, headache, nasal discomfort, um, throat irritation, and rhinorrhea also have been seen with this intranasal midazolam. So um, what they found in some of the clinical trials looking at this drug um, was that it can terminate seizures within 10 minutes after the dose, and it can keep seizure recurrence from a, uh, at bay for about six hours. And a significantly greater portion of patients who actually received the midazolam nasal spray compared to placebo achieved treatment success. Um, they also received midazolam, when they received the midazolam nasal um, spray, they had seizure, um, a, a less seizure recurrence compared to placebo. And obviously we want those drugs to work. And so we, we have at least proof against placebo, but nothing, not head to head for other, other agents. There was a retrospective observational study as well that evaluated patients in the periodal um, period and they were given the inhaled midazolam while on uh, electroencephalography or EEG uh, in the epilepsy center. And they saw that inhaled midazolam reduced the occurrence of seizures over the 24 hour period. And the seizure free period was doubled from the median of five hours in control patients to over 10 hours in the midazolam group. So the study really concluded that inhaled midazolam is safe and efficient um, and effective treatment option um, to prevent short-term recurrence of seizures. And it was also perceived to be easy to use and more effective um, possibly than the rectal diazepam. So these three new agents um, do have some data to support their use, a couple different dosing strategies to be aware of, um, but we do have some options for our patients that hopefully will improve um, and decrease their seizure rates. Gretchen, thank you for that. I always think of medications 
and the guidance that a pharmacist is giving to their patient, depending on what that condition and medication and treatment is. And one of the facets of knowledge that pharmacists are coming up with, because they see so many patients sometimes with a similar condition, is the route of administration and how that can make a difference in treatment from one patient to the other. I think of nicotine and how it's absorbed in our system through our gums or through our lungs and the tissues in our lungs to be able to absorb that nicotine. And as a layperson, non-pharmacist, I think, okay, let's let's think about administration here and if, if it makes really any difference. And outside of these approved therapies, are there other medications currently being studied for seizure clusters that have a route of administration uh, different than what we've talked about? Yeah, there are two in the pipeline um, that I'll briefly mention. Uh, one is inhaled alprazolam, which is actually not nasally inhaled, but orally inhaled. And it's completed a phase two trial and they're beginning a phase three trial. It's called staccato alprazolam. And um, it's a new technology basically that is allowing this handheld device to be used to inhale the drug and deliver it with a single breath. And it seems to lead to rapid termination of seizures. Um, so that's great. It's something that might be able to be used again by patients when they feel a seizure coming on. Uh, I could see that being very help helpful in some of these patients. Um, and then there's um, also in their phase two study, they looked uh, at a double blind placebo controlled trial um, and demonstrated significantly uh, clinically and statistically uh, re significant reduction in seizures using the one and two milligram doses um, in addition to prompt termination of seizures within two minutes or less, which is great. Um, they also showed an average of about 80 88% reduction in total seizure duration among patients who experienced prolonged seizures when using this new uh, inhaled orally inhaled device. Um, the other agent that's coming in the, down the pipeline is the diazepam buccal film. And this one uh, can be is being studied as an oral rescue therapy as well for seizure clusters. And it utilizes a proprietary farm film technology that allows drug to be absorbed directly through the buccal mucosa. It's administered on a real thin film of, uh, a, that's smaller than a postage stamp and can be placed inside the cheek. Uh, the site of action offers promise as a rescue agent due to the wide and permeability uh, surface, perme permeable surface of the buccal mucosa, obviously, which allows an ideal absorption and swift and prompt onset of action. Uh, the product is probably less invasive than traditional alternatives, um, so that might be something that patients would like to try. And in uh, phase three trial, looking at this drug, it was well tolerated. Um, the exposure, uh, 22 over about 23% uh, were able to self-administer this um, for their seizures, and 65% of, of the administrations occurred within five minutes of the seizure, so they could do it pretty quickly. Um, they didn't have any related injuries um, from this administration route. And the observational data um, about usability of this felt, uh, resulted in patients saying it was successful. They were successfully able to administer the product on the first time they used it, and no issues were reported, you know, regarding swallowing of the product, which is something we would consider for that buccal film. 
So those two agent, those two um, delivery device or new delivery techniques are something to be looking out for in the future. So in the community environments, uh, people are seeing their pharmacist on average 10 to 1 to their primary care physician and even I'm sure specialists that are focused on uh, different conditions in, in today's conversation, seizures. However, I, I think of the expanding role of pharmacists, Gretchen, and I'd like to know from, from your experience, what role do pharmacists play in managing patients with seizure clusters? Pharmacists can play a very important role in identifying patients at risk for seizure clusters and actually educating them. We are one of the most accessible healthcare professionals um, for patients out in the community. You know, I think we can do a very, um, we can provide a very good role in regarding education of, for these patients, um, you know, to help them in regards to these seizure clusters and how they can make their quality of life better. Um, with up to 46% of patients with epilepsy experience seizure, seizure clusters and less than half of those um, who experience them actually receiving treatments, I think it's imperative that we do this and intervene so that our patients can again optimize their outcomes. Um, and I think we have a great opportunity to work with our colleagues, our, our physicians and nurse practitioners, um, you know, to optimize their care and, and just if we collaborate on these and, and really communicate, I think we can actually improve the care of these patients. So I think of counseling as one of the most important um, parts of a pharmacist role for patients just to describe things to them as well as their caretakers, as well as people in their lives that uh, have to look out for certain things that are happening. And you know, oh goodness, I, I'm sure you've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people about seizures, and that is the patient that's suffering from the seizures, but also the caretaker, the family member that is going to be there. So what key counseling points should the pharmacist discuss with patients receiving seizure uh, cluster treatment, as well as the people in the lives of these, of these people suffering with seizures? Um, I would say some of the best things that we can do from the counseling standpoint would be to help patients recognize epilepsy triggers so they can sort of tell if a seizure is coming on and then therefore get these drugs on board early. I think education about drug-drug um, interactions is important because most patients are on multiple medications these days, especially in our older population. Um, I think counseling on side effects and making sure patients are aware uh, of what to expect and to make sure they are comfortable reporting that to the pharmacist or their physician. And obviously the importance of adherence to their medication is, is gonna be key because if the patient is not taking their anti-seizure medication um, and adhering to that schedule, then these seizure clusters are gonna possibly happen more often. And um, you know, using these, these uh, rescue therapies is great, but we definitely wanna you know, make sure that they're adhering to their maintenance therapy um, to decrease the rate of needing these, these um, rescue therapies. And finally, just monitoring, you know, for everything, monitoring for side effects, monitoring um, for if we have monitorable drugs, especially maintenance therapies, um, you know, making sure the patient understands um, that they, they really need to um, be adherent and, and follow their plan uh, that hopefully they've worked with, with the physician or, or um, pharmacist. 
and you know making sure that you know to again optimize their outcomes by making them educating them and making them feel like they're part of the plan and therefore part of the solution. Gretchen, this has been a fascinating conversation with you. We really want to thank you for being part of today's subject around seizure clusters. But we always want to ask a final question of you and our guest, and that is really for today's listener listening in, what would you say is the single most important takeaway um, for, for our pharmacists? I would say um, making sure patients and physicians are aware of the new tech, new drugs that are available for patients with seizure clusters, these new routes of administration, as well as the dosing strategies uh, is very, very important and getting these drugs on board quickly at the right doses it, you know, are, is key to hopefully optimizing uh, seizure um, optimizing the, the ability to halt seizures in these patients and improve their quality of life. Gretchen, it's been great talking with you. Thank you so much for being here with us on the PTCE Pharmacy Connect, and we hope to have you back someday. All right. Thank you very much. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in to PTCE Pharmacy Connect, committed to really driving education and supplemental education through audio. This has been an exciting venture for the Pharmacy Podcast Network. We're so proud of the pharmacist specialists who have come on and shared their insights and expertise. Please reach out to the PTC, PTCE Pharmacy Connect team for any additional questions and getting all of your continuing education. And as always, we thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcast. Your feedback is important to us. Please share with us your thoughts on this episode and other topics you'd like to learn about. Go to pharmacytimes.org forward slash contact and send us a message. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>